This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Do you know those days when you started out heading in one direction and for one reason or another, your day gets flipped and you end up someplace totally unexpected? Depending on the magnitude of your zig or zag moment, you might think to yourself, holy cow, why or how did that happen? How did I end up here? These are some of the thoughts that flowed through my mind as I sat in the big black examining chair within the eye center. I looked around at the familiar blurred images of that room and reflected on how just 10 minutes ago, I was sitting in a similar examining chair at Dr. Garcia's office. I went in for a routine scheduled appointment. All seemed to be going well. Five years had passed since my global rupture and my eye was finally starting to stabilize and life had adapted and it was starting to feel comfortable. I had sat down in Dr. Garcia's examining chair, optimistic and speaking relatively, I didn't have any significant concerns. But moments into my slit lamp exam, Dr. Garcia got very quiet and the feeling of his air in his room got very tense. Choosing his words very carefully, he explained that the front of my eye, more specifically, my cornea, looked different. He noted that he would like me to see one of his colleagues who specialized in the area of the cornea. He then slipped out of his room, made a phone call, and sent me for an immediate consultation. Moments later, I was in the eye center, sitting in a familiar chair, within a familiar room, but waiting for an unfamiliar ophthalmologist to come and see me. I vaguely knew who he was. I'd actually seen him a couple of times over the years. My most recent encounter was when I had experienced my global rupture. I was in the eye center at that time, being seen by a couple of different ophthalmologists. When he was simply walking down the hall, they pulled him in to get his expert thoughts on the eye trauma that had ensued. But, generally speaking, at that moment, to him, I was just another client, and to me, he was somebody that was not part of my team. What I didn't know at that moment was that somebody really important was about to walk into my life. I'm Becky Zarr, and this is The Blind Reality. I remember that appointment that day. It completely knocked me on my butt and totally took the air right out of my lungs. I sat there quiet during his exam and intently listening to his words that followed. My heart began to race as I began to feel myself being thrust back into crisis mode. I wasn't familiar with Dr. Judelson or his non-verbals or any of his mannerisms. I didn't know how much significance to place on the deep breaths that he was taking. His folded arms or even how he sat in his chair 
So I had to place all of my attention on his tone and his words that he was speaking. He told me that my eye was not in a good state. My artificial lens that was put in when I was nine years old was now tilted and displaced to the extent that one of the anchoring legs was actually migrating out the front of my eye. He explained that my cornea was dangerously thin in spots and on top of the cornea, there was now bankeratopathy, a calcium deposit that had developed. As I was trying to digest his information, I asked him about the treatment options. I'll spare you the details, but none of them were stacked in my favor. My head was spinning, my stomach was turning, and my heart was throbbing. I knew the reality was that I was very much at risk of losing the small amount of eyesight that I had once regained. Dr. Judelson continued to share more details with me and his expert opinion on what next steps could be or should be taken. He advised me that the removal of the calcium had to take place in order for my eye to even have a shot. His voice softened as he told me that this will be a very risky procedure and that there was no guarantees of what the outcomes would be. It was his recommendation, however, though, that this procedure was done sooner than later. Sitting there in the big black chair, my mind was trying to take diligent notes, all while keeping my emotions in check. There was a couple moments of dead silence. When suddenly I heard Dr. Judelson's words, pierced deeply into my mind and heart. He said to me, you have a little boy, right? Unable to speak any words, I nodded. He said, how old is your son now? I replied, he's eight. I'm going to his Christmas concert this afternoon. The words weren't even out of my mouth and my eyes filled with tears. I was so grateful for the five years of patchy eyesight. I wasn't naive. I knew that each day that I could see something was a bonus, but I wasn't done. I wasn't ready for it all to end. I tried several times to clear the lump in my throat and lock away my emotions, but it just wasn't working. I took a deep breath and said, Okay, if I'm understanding correctly about what you're saying, is that there is a good possibility that my eye might fail and that I will be left with nothing, correct? He replied, yes, that is a possibility. Your eye is very delicate, Becky. I said, okay, I understand the risk and agree that this is a procedure that has to be done. But when we're talking time frame, I can't do it until after Christmas. 
If this is potentially my last Christmas with eyesight, I need it. I need one more Christmas, please. We agreed and set the date for January 2nd. Feeling like a puddle, I pulled myself together just enough to walk out of his office. But before leaving, I turned to Dr. Judelson and said, Thank you. Thank you for your time and honesty. He nodded and said, I wish there was more I could do. I smiled and said, I'll be okay. I didn't actually believe those words that day, but it was most definitely something I needed to hear. My mother-in-law, Jewel, was sitting in the waiting room. I knew that if I said anything to her or even looked in her direction, then I would completely crumble. I didn't want to be that person. So, uncharacteristically, I walked right by her without any acknowledgement at all. I went straight to the desk to make all of the arrangements for my pending procedure. Jewel is not a typical mother-in-law. She's the best. Concerned, she came over and asked if everything was okay. Trying really hard not to melt down, I shook my head no. Then the tears began to flow. In the vehicle, I explained everything to my in-laws. I felt broken and trapped with no good options. Jewel asked me if I wanted to call and talk to Brad or my parents maybe. I shook my head no. I don't want to tell them, I said. It's just going to wreck their whole day. I don't understand how I got here today. Today was supposed to be a really fun day with everybody together watching Bennett's adorable Christmas concert. And suddenly, instead, today is going to turn into one of those factual dates on my medical history form. It was going to turn into a day that noted a significant change of course in our life. All the terrible phone calls were made and all the key people were filled in. I had decided that I may not have control with how things are going to play out with my eye, but I did have control on how the rest of this day was going to go. I had decided that we were all going to Bennett's concert. This was a moment that I did not want to miss. Once again to me, my son was so handsome and innocent as he stood up there on stage. His spiked blonde hair, crystal clear blue eyes and soft chubby cheeks smiled proudly in my direction. I admit these details of his face were faded, but I could see just enough of them to make my heart overflow with love and joy. His tiny little hands moving along with the verse that he sang together with his peers. It was so adorable. As with any Christmas concert, mishaps were occurring. 
giggles flowed through the audience and the sound of video cameras turning off and on were definitely audible. But to me, it was all blocked out while I tried to absorb every second of this moment. I was trying to lock it into my mind and heart, storing it someplace safe where it would never be forgotten or lost. He was my pride and joy, and I hated the looming feeling that hung over me, reminding me once again that his beautiful face might disappear. I know myself well enough to recognize that for the serious stuff, patiently waiting for me is not a strong attribute that I possess. For the next two weeks, my mind battled back and forth between wanting the days to stretch out and for each second to slowly tick by. Then, on the other hand, part of me just wanted to cross off the days with only a fraction of the time actually lapsing. I just wanted to know how everything was going to play out. I really wanted to be able to look back and wonder why I stressed and worried so much. Without being able to escape, my heart reminded me to slow down and be present for every moment, just in case. I have never been one to gamble. Even when we went to Las Vegas, gambling was not what lured me there. I went to go and watch a New Kids on the Block concert, to go shopping, and to just simply soak up the hot, dry sun. So, to have the feeling now that I needed to place all of my chips on red and roll the dice, it filled me with an unsettling, frightening feeling from head to toe. Christmas that year was beautiful. Our family Christmases are always a little chaotic, but to me, that's what makes it special. I had decided to set all of my worries aside and focus on just the simple, beautiful moments of the day. A smile was painted on my face from the moment that I first woke up. I remember laying in bed quietly without stirring just for a few moments to say thank you for the day that I was about to receive. This is not the typical way that I start my day, but I felt like I really needed to recognize my sincere appreciation to whomever it was that helped make this day possible for me. There are not words to explain the feeling that I got by being able to see my adorable sons bubbling over joy and excitement that filled the entire day. There was just something reassuring about being able to glance to my side and seeing my loving husband sitting next to me. My parents and in-laws were seated with us around my kitchen table. We were all visiting, laughing, and just making Christmas Day as it should be. By the time January 2nd rolled around, I had had a couple more eye exams and all of my questions were answered. We chose to keep the worry away from Bennett and sent him to spend a couple of days with my parents out of town. 
Brad took me to my appointment. There, Dr. Judelson once again examined my eye, and then I was transitioned into a different room where the procedure would actually take place. Now, honestly, I'm not a big fan of just letting anyone touch, manipulate, or even work on my left eye. At that point, I no longer had childhood innocence or a 30-year relationship with him. Initially, I just wanted somebody with familiar hands to come and step in. I admit, I don't really trust new people easily. I prefer to establish comfortable parameters and to maintain barriers for as long as it takes for me to begin to feel comfortable with that person. Eventually, I would slowly chip that barrier away and let somebody new in. But halfway through the procedure, something happened that I wasn't expecting. I was laying there, watching the internal fluids of my eyes slosh around like a clear water balloon that's held in front of my face, while Dr. Judelson methodically worked to remove the calcium from the front of my delicate cornea. My mind is fairly strong, but I wanted nothing more than to be able to distract myself just enough to be able to get through this procedure. My mind did allow me to drift away sporadically for a few seconds to allow myself to focus on something different than what was actually taking place in front of my eyes. I would lie there quiet, not saying much more than to reply to Dr. Judelson, when he occasionally paused just to check and see how I was doing. I focused on his voice a lot, and I noticed that there was something in it, something familiar. But it was something that was very much unexpected, yet recognizable within this doctor that I did not have a history with. I was hearing compassion in his voice as he spoke his words. It wasn't pity. It was true compassion. He genuinely wanted to make a positive difference in my life. Not for his ego or a paycheck, but rather he just wanted to help give me the life that I wanted so much. This has never happened in my life before, and it's honestly never happened since. But that day, during that procedure, and reassured by each interaction after, Dr. Judelson 100% gained my trust and respect. He became an integral part of my team. Looking back, it does make me giggle a bit because he was thrown into the game when we were down and heading into some very critical overtime. But he gave it his all, and in turn, he gave me my hopes back. I'm happy to say that my eye held steady through the procedure. And when I was getting ready to leave this doctor that I was suddenly feeling connected to, he turned and said to me, Becky, I wish I could do more for you. I smiled and turned back to him, and I said, I am grateful 
for what you just did. I sincerely appreciate it. I had heard these and other similar words from other doctors over the years, but their words felt routine and somewhat robotic, like they were routine words that they spoke as part of their job. But that day, when Dr. Judelson spoke those very same words to me, they sounded so different because they were covered in sincerity. I kind of giggled to myself as I resisted speaking the words out loud. Welcome to the team. Sorry you drew the short straw. I hope you are up for the challenge because I'm a bit of a doozy. Interestingly enough, Dr. Judelson became a key person in my life for the next nearly three years. He seamlessly navigated me in and out of a few complex scenarios. And as a result, today I'm still standing. Yeah, my vision has once again shifted, this time as a result of a pretty severe infection that left me with a corneal ulcer that is now covered by a collection of scar tissue that in turn has diminished my limited sight a little bit further. But I'm not alone in the dark. So to me, life is good. Because of Dr. Judelson's commitment, I'm still able to see some of the world's beauty. As we all know, like with any beginning, it will eventually wind its way around and reach the end. Sometimes in the middle though, we kind of need to be reminded to just slow down and enjoy the ride. Before my vision loss, I totally recognized that there were beautiful things in the world. But at times, I failed to take note of the little details that made them uniquely remarkable. Like a translucent, iridescent, plump perfection of a single raindrop. Watching it independently fall as it slides down the window. And at the bottom, it joins the other fallen drops, allowing its shape to magically dissolve. The feather-light, uniquely painted wings of a red and black ladybug? Or what about a dark night sky lit up by the spackled stars that span the never-ending sky? I love tulips, the ocean, watching movies, and my son play hockey. My favorite drink is Snapple iced tea. My all-time favorite singing group since I was 10 years old is the New Kids on the Block. My favorite color will always be pink. And to me, chocolate should most definitely be its own food group. Now, on the contrary, I don't like hot peppers. I think escargot is disgusting, although I've never tried it. I've personally never had a desire to climb a mountain. And a little secret of mine is that I'm totally scared of the dark. But the thing I dislike most of all is having to say goodbye. It doesn't matter the context or level of permanency. To me, it all falls in the same category. I know it's because I likely allow myself to get a little too attached, too connected, or too reliant. I honestly don't keep random people in my life. If you're in my life, it's because at some point you've impacted me. So thank you. So when Dr. Judelson told me 
that he would be retiring in the coming months? Selfishly, my initial feeling was total sadness. He had become one of my people, and now I had to prepare myself for him to step back. Because this is my life, and the relationship that I have built with him, it can be hard for me to remember that technically, this is his job. Most definitely, Dr. Judelson has earned his retirement. I get that. It's time for him to switch focus and concentrate on what he enjoys doing and allow him to spend his time with his friends and family. But I couldn't help wonder if anybody would notice if he happened to take a slit lamp with him home. Do you think they'd even notice that? You know, just in case something happens and I need him. And then I further began to think that Honestly, if storage is an issue, I would totally store it for him if this is an obstacle. But the more rational part of me did kick in, and I was sincerely happy for him. I was just grateful that I had the opportunity to get to know him, and I had the opportunity to have my name on his client list. At my last appointment with Dr. Judelson, I easily slid into the big black examining chair that once felt so unfamiliar. I had thought on several occasions on the days prior to this appointment of what to say. How could I possibly express my sincere gratitude to him? The words thank you just seemed too simple. Most of all though, I didn't want to say goodbye because it would signal an end that I personally wasn't quite ready for. The last appointments always suck. We went through the process of doing the last eye exam. He wrote his last notes in my file and we wished each other well in the future. I, of course, tried to say thank you in a way that would convey how much I appreciated everything he did for me and ultimately for my family. Before leaving the exam room, we took a picture together. Then we both spontaneously started talking about perhaps collaborating together and advocating for some much-needed changes in the future. I don't know if it will actually happen, or if perhaps he saw it as potentially the only way of getting me to leave. Regardless, it filled my heart with hope and excitement. I was completely beaming inside, simply because perhaps I didn't have to say a true permanent goodbye. It is clear and definitively easy for me to say that Dr. Judelson had a positive impact on my life. As I left his office that day, Dr. Judelson said to me, Becky, I really wish I could have done more for you. Confident and grateful, I smiled at him and said, Thank you so much for everything. I will be okay. This time, I wasn't just speaking words that I needed to hear, but rather, I actually believed it in my heart. So today, I have the honor and privilege of introducing yet another one of my personal heroes. I was only on his client list for a few short years, 
but the impact that he was able to make was profound. I'm extremely honored to introduce the newly retired Dr. Jeff Judelson. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Becky. I'm a fan of your podcast. My first question is, why did you decide to become an ophthalmologist and specialize in the area of the cornea? Well, firstly, I didn't decide to become an ophthalmologist. Uh, I originally decided I wanted to be a vet. And I started sciences and then somehow ended up in medicine. And once I actually qualified, I worked for a few years in the emergency room and family medicine and then decided that ophthalmology would be a good idea. And fortunately, I was able then to get into a residency. Because during this time, I had good exposure to corneal surgery and other aspects of cornea and became interested in it. And in the program I was in, I was able to obtain a fair amount of experience. And uh, when I finished my training after almost five years, I did a master's thesis on a particular corneal pathology. So that was my training. I arrived in Regina in 1988, and I was fortunate at that time to be able to work with uh, Ken Romanchuk, who you know, and with the support of the Lions Eye Bank. And we uh, set up the Eye Bank in Regina. And along with the iBank and a lot of other resources that were uh, given to us, I was able to pursue a cornea practice in Regina. And that's essentially how things happen with uh, cornea and myself. Wow. Am I ever glad that your plan pivoted away from our fuzzy friends and you decided to focus on ophthalmology? I, I, I didn't want to destroy your confidence in me, but I often told other patients I couldn't cut it as a vet, so I became an ophthalmologist. But I spared <laughs> you that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, I love it. Okay, next. What are you most proud of that you had the opportunity to do or be part of within your amazing career? Well, I started training in the early 80s, and uh, you can imagine the world was very different at that time. There were no personal computers, and even it was difficult to come by various resources. And over the four decades, I was really privileged to be an ophthalmologist at this time and see the tremendous advances in surgery and diagnostics. For example, uh, when I started uh, ophthalmology, refractive surgery was not really a field. And in the 90s, I was able to participate in the beginning of lasers for refractive surgery. I was right at the start of that. And even with uh, corneal surgery, what the types of surgery we're doing now, two decades back, would, would have sounded uh, ridiculous. And so there have been tremendous advances that I've been privileged to be part of. And even cataract surgery, when we started doing cataract surgery, visual outcomes were poor. There were many complications. And nowadays, it's probably the most successful all, all surgeries performed. So over four decades, I've just been privileged to be around to... Uh, go from ophthalmology that was fairly primitive to something that's become very advanced and successful. What advancement do you look forward to seeing in the area of ophthalmology and how do you think it would have impacted your clients? Okay, so besides improving surgical techniques that are going to be possible with more sophisticated instruments and diagnostics, I think uh, we're going to see the most profound changes at the genetic and cellular level and that's in all medicine. And that's going to enable us to create and repair damaged tissue, for example, the cornea, 
parts of the eye involving glaucoma and many of the genetic retinal diseases. And I will say, unfortunately, we also, currently we do have great technologies available, like the OrCam, which I have discussed with you before, and that is really helpful to visually disabled people, but due to the costs and limited resources and lack of any government support, that is just not simply available to patients today. And that is certainly something that would be of tremendous benefit without waiting for the future. I presented as a client on your caseload towards the end of your career. What was it like having me as one of your last clients? Well, Becky, you may not remember, but I actually saw you, first saw you at the ICE Center when you were a very young nurse. And then intermittently over the years when you presented at our rounds and various meetings. I'm not sure if you recall that. Yep, I totally remember that. As a patient, you've, your eyes have always been a huge challenge, to say the least. And unfortunately, I was only able to be of limited help. However, as a person, I think, and I told you at our last visit at the eye center that you were probably the most amazing patient in my career. Despite your intractable issues, you've always been a humbling example to us for your positive attitude, your positive and stoic attitude and poise. And simply put, you like a ray of sunshine to all those around you, including your doctors. And that brings us to the end of this episode of The Blind Reality. I'd like to thank Dr. Jeff Judelson for his amazing, meticulous care that he provided to me over the years. And a quick thank you to him for joining us for our conversation today. As always, I'd like to thank my family for their continued love and support. This episode was written and produced by me, Becky Zarr. Technical production was provided by AMI-audio's Nisreen Abdel-Majid. And the manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Remember, until next time, if you need a hand, get it. If you can give a hand, give it. Thanks for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.